Hey, welcome to episode number 48 of More Than Bread and the sixth episode of the Gospel of John. I'm Dan, your host and Bible reader, and I so appreciate you joining me for these 20 to 30 minutes as we let our souls saturate in Scripture and at the same time do a deep dive into Jesus. In the first 40 plus episodes of More Than Bread, we did a, a quick tour through the whole New Testament. Now we're going a bit deeper into the Gospel of John. And the whole point of John's Gospel is that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And by believing, we might have a whole new kind of life. And honestly, that's my prayer for each and every one of you. As, as we read through and you listen through um, the Gospel of John, specifically John chapter 4. And that's right, John 4, because remember... I said I was going to give us a bonus episode in John 4 because it includes this, both this deep encounter of Jesus by an unnamed woman at the well who leads her whole community to Jesus, and it includes the second of seven signs that Jesus did that John uses to, to hang kind of the organization of the gospel on. Now, before I read John 4 again, let me set a bit of the context and at the same time remind us of where we ended in the last episode. We, we talked about our have-tos, what we have to do, how that shapes our story. And we talked about worship. Jesus' have-to was to turn thirsty people into God-satisfied worshipers. And, and the worship, remember, in John 4 is initiated by God at the intersections of real life, very authentic, raw, in the midst of adultery and broken marriages, racial conflict, and need, deep need to find a worshiper. Jesus doesn't go to the temple, to a sacred place. He doesn't find a, a beautiful place by a stream in the woods. He sits by a well on a dusty trail near a village filled with people that his friends want to avoid. Bone weary from his journey, he decides even now, even here, there will be worship. Because remember, worship is the natural result of a thirsty heart and mind and soul that has been satisfied by God. Worship is just what happens when the life of God begins to flow through the dry wastelands of our soul. This woman encounters Jesus and she goes to tell everyone in town about her encounter. And they all come back to see this Jesus. I'll read it again in just a moment. But we will hear John in verses 40 and 41 say, So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days in Samaria. And many more believed because of his word. Because of his word. Because of his word. They believed because of his word. So before we reread John 4, I just want to remind us of the connection between Jesus and the Word, the connection between the Son of God and the Word of God. John knew Jesus. In fact, if it could be said of anyone, he was Jesus' best friend. He was part of Jesus' inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. At the end of his life, Jesus entrusted his mother to John. John knew Jesus. In the beginning of his gospel, remember John writes these words, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. And then a few sentences later, he says, And the Word, the Word that was with God from the beginning it created everything. This word became flesh, made his home among us, and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And, and we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. We saw Jesus. Jesus became flesh. The word became flesh. See, finding life is, man, it's just all about Jesus. It's this invitation to know Jesus and follow Jesus and love Jesus and become like Jesus and live like Jesus and 
be Jesus. It's all about Jesus because the word Jesus gives life. This man who claimed to be God, who lived as a servant, died like a criminal, was resurrected as a king. This man who is called the word, the word of God, God in the flesh, the God who speaks. It's like God speaks and every time he opens his mouth, Jesus comes out. So before we jump into the miracle moment this week, I just wanted to make sure we understand the connection between Jesus and the word. This connection goes beyond metaphor into the land of mystical, beyond symbolic into the land of the supernatural. That There's this connection between Jesus who is called the word and the word which we call our Bible. So that every time, listen to me, every time, we open the book. Every time we listen to the words of Scripture, it can be like sitting down with Jesus. No matter what page we find ourselves on, it's an opportunity to connect with Jesus through his word, through the word. And that's what happened to the Samaritans, right? Jesus met this woman at the well. She encountered Jesus' heart and encountered his words. No miracle, just his heart and his words. And she went back to town and told everybody about Jesus, which led to this major, many, many major move of God. The Samaritans all came out of town and they, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed two more days, two more days in Samaria. And many more believed because of his word. So let's listen to the word in John chapter 4. Again, I'll be reading the whole chapter and I'll, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. And he had to. There it is, right? Remember my word? He had to. It was his have to. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. And soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. I mean, there's not just a cultural divide. There's not just a religious divide. There's a gender divide. You, you don't have anything to do with Samaritan women. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Sir, she said, you, you don't have a, even have a rope or a bucket, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. And you know my words? She knew that. She understood that thirst was recurring, that, that, that this really didn't satisfy. And, and not just the water, but the way that she was living her life. Jesus is bringing her along. But those, verse 14, who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes this fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said. Give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus said. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. You certainly spoke the truth. 
Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? And you understand, I think my words, this woman kind of feels like she's changing the subject. She's dodging Jesus' confrontation of her life a little bit. But honestly, this is where Jesus has wanted her to go all along because ultimately it's all about worship. Jesus replied to her, verse 21, Dear woman, the, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. The place will no longer matter. My words, the sacred place will no longer matter. What will matter is the heart. You Samaritans, verse 22, know very little about the one you worship. While we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Let me just pause for a moment and ask you, what does it look like for you to worship in spirit and in truth? In spirit and in truth. There has to be something taking place in your heart. It doesn't matter about the place. It's about the heart. It's about your connection with God and with the people around you. It's about where do you go to find your spirit satisfied. It's about worshiping something and someone that is true. Worship in spirit and truth. God is looking for people to worship him in this way. Verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, it's me. I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask him, what do you want with me, with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. I stopped here in the last episode. I need to stop again. Please don't let this picture leave your mind. The disciples, the ones who knew Jesus the best, went into town and came back with nothing but food. Went into town and came back with no people. They didn't tell anybody. They didn't tell anybody in, in this little village of Samaria. They didn't tell anybody about Jesus. But this woman has such an overwhelming, overpowering encounter with Christ. She believes his words and so she brings everybody back. <laughs> she brings everybody back. Everybody comes back. Verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. And then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Listen, <laughs> my words, our hearts, our souls, our minds, our lives are famished for doing the will of God. We're famished from the mission. That There's a mission out there, and when we don't go on the mission, our hearts, our souls shrivel up. We're famished because we're not doing the will of God. Verse 35, you know the saying, for four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for the harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get together the harvest. 
And many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. And so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his word and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves, and now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. At the end of the two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. He himself had said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown. And yet the Galileans welcomed him. So my words, there's, there's a difference between honoring him and welcoming him. For they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and seen everything he did there. As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana where he had turned the water into wine. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. And when he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. And then Jesus told him, go back home, your son will live. And the man believed. Now listen, that, that my words, see, see this progression. There's, there's a welcoming, but there's also an honoring. And there's a believing. This man believed what Jesus said, and he started home. There's a believing and there's a responding. There's a difference between welcoming and honoring, just like there's a difference between believing and responding. Believing and responding. The man believed what Jesus had said, and he started home. He responded. Now, while the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, yesterday afternoon at 1 o'clock, or in some of your versions it says, in the seventh hour. <laughs> That's 1 o'clock, seventh hour. His fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. So let me just share a few thoughts from this last part of John chapter 4, the second sign. And let me start by saying this. There is a believing that is not really believing. It, it stops short of trust. And the key here, issue here in this sign, in this story, is trust. It says in verse 45 that the Galileans welcomed Jesus because they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. And, and John earlier talks about that moment. John, John writes, now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, in John 2 he writes this, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He knew himself, he, he himself knew what was in them. They believed, but Jesus did not entrust himself. He did not trust them because they were more interested in the miracle than they were in the miracle giver. In other words, they, they had a very common, a very baseline, a very minimal faith. They had a faith based on signs and wonders. And this kind of faith, if that's all it is, it's a common faith. They believed in what Jesus could do. But Jesus is looking for something more. He's looking for trust. So he came again to Cana where he turned water into wine. And I think this is significant. Where he came again to, he could have gone to any town in Galilee, but he came to Cana which was the site of the first sign. And I just wonder if Jesus knew that he would need to be encouraged in order to do all that God wanted him to do for his own people. 
And so he went to a place where he had previously experienced the power of God flowing through him to change the molecular composition of water into wine. He went to the place where his disciples believed. And I wonder if he went to a place where he could very easily rehearse God's faithfulness, rehearse God's faithfulness. How often do you rehearse God's faithfulness? How often do you tell yourself again the stories of what God has done in your life or the ways that he's come through for you? Now, I don't know for sure if this is what Jesus was doing, but I do know that in order to go beyond common faith to a deep trust, there are times when we need to rehearse God's faithfulness, times when we need to revisit the place where the bush burned, if you know the story of Moses. Times when we need to go back to the rocks that were piled high on the banks of the River Jordan that that signaled their crossing, the miraculous crossing. Times when we need to revisit the stories of the cross and the moment of resurrection. Times when we need to share our own God stories and rehearse God's faithfulness. Sometimes all it takes is a memory. I I recently shared in a message at Calvary about a time when I was in a dark season and I I went to a men's retreat in Minnesota, northern Minnesota, a place called Trout Lake Camp. Instead of going to the final session to hear the speaker, I, I wandered off that night by myself and I was sitting on a rock by the lake looking out into the darkness and the heart of my prayer was just simply why and where? Why did this happen, God, and where are you? Why did this happen and where are you? And at some point, the sound penetrated my prayers. It was the sound of 300 guys singing a song from my childhood, Yes, Jesus loves me. And when the men changed the words from Yes, Jesus loves me to Yes, Jesus loves you, it was as though God himself was singing to me. God spoke to me. He, He encountered me in that moment. I rehearsed that story of God's faithfulness frequently because that moment changed so much in my life. Whenever I remember moments like that, I'm rehearsing God's faithfulness. Whenever you remember moments of God encountering you, of doing something for you, you are rehearsing God's faithfulness. And when we rehearse God's past faithfulness, we're inspired to trust his future grace. I I tell you, every time I walk around the property here at Harvest Fields in central Pennsylvania, it's a rehearsal of God's faithfulness. I, I remember the words and the promises that people felt a, had been given to them, the points where we've seen God work over time, the lives that have already been touched, and I'm reminded of God's past faithfulness. And God's past faithfulness gives me trust in his future grace. So this official comes from Capernaum. Capernaum's 20 to 25 miles away from Cana, depending on how you travel. Capernaum is by the sea, so it's all uphill to Cana and all downhill on the way back. This guy's coming out of desperation. And he begins to Jesus. He asks Jesus to come back down and heal his son who's near death. And Jesus speaks to him, but when he speaks, he uses the plural form of you. So while he's speaking to the man, he's speaking about the whole crowd. You all, y'all, you just, y'all just won't believe unless you get signs and wonders. You're looking for the show, but there's more. Don't be so focused on the sign that you miss the wondrous God who works in wondrous ways. But regardless of what Jesus said, the man just wouldn't stop asking. He was desperate. So look at verses 49 and 50. It says, The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. This is the turning point of the story. This is, this is the turning point of the sign. See, Jesus wants us to know of this 
Jesus wants to know if this man is a sign seeker or or if there's a seed of trust waiting to grow in his heart. This man doesn't know it, but he's being tested. And he doesn't know it yet, but he will pass the test. And this moment will actually be the turning point of his story, the turning point in his whole family story. Jesus spoke. The man believed Jesus' word, and he responded. That's trust. This journey started with the desperation of a father who had a need that only Jesus could meet, but it would end. It would have ended in disappointment without a word from Christ. If Christ hadn't spoken a word, it would have ended in disappointment. Listen, if, if we want to live our own one and only life in an uncommon way, have this deep trust in Jesus, we need a word. We need a word from Christ. We need the one who has called the word to speak into our lives. We need his promises. We need his conviction. E even in our prayers, his word comes first. We desperately, listen, we desperately need, I desperately need a word from Jesus. And I tell you, it's hard to get a word if we aren't in the word. It's hard to get a word if we don't find ourselves ever listening to the word. Can Jesus speak to us in other ways? Of course. I believe he can. I believe he does. But if we're not in the word, all other ways become suspect. It's the one whose life is saturated with the word, who, who hears the voice of Christ, who, who has a, a, an ability to recognize his voice, who, who, who has voice recognition, <laughs> And this man responds. He went on his way. John doesn't tell us if he walked or rode a horse. I think he walked. I think he walked because he doesn't get home until the next day. If it was my son, I'd be so eager to see him. If I had a horse, I wouldn't wait. I, I would have been home in a couple of hours. But walking 20 to 25 miles took some time. It was a journey. But listen, so often faith requires the journey. In fact, we might be tempted to believe that this man didn't really gain faith until he saw that his son was healed. But I, I believe that deep trust, this kind of faith, is burst, birthed on the way. He responded. That, that was the birth of faith. He, he, he went home. It, 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 it's in the in-between times. Faith is birthed in between hearing the word and receiving the fulfillment of the promise. By what we do, the quality of our faith depends upon what we do on the way, in between. Sometimes in between is the hardest time of all, but it's often the time when faith grows. How we respond to Jesus' words in the in-between times matters more than we know. And as he was going down, this man, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. He asked them the hour when he began to get better. They said, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew then that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all of his household. And you know this, forever after, when this family would get together for a family holiday, for, for dinner at night, they would rehearse God's faithfulness. They would share their seventh hour story. Remember when? <laughs> they would share about a time when God came through even before they knew he came through. A time when they were given a word from Christ and they would respond at a time when faith was birthed along the way. It was their seventh hour story. So just ask yourself for just a moment. Do you have any seventh hour stories? A time when Jesus heard your cry, maybe even before you cried out, answered you before you even knew it. You, you, you knew, but, but the point came where you know, you know, you knew that you knew that it was him. A time when Jesus came through. And, and if you do, if you have even one, rehearse that story often. Tell others. Make sure your kids know. If, and if you don't, 
have any seventh hour stories? Maybe he's just waiting for you to respond. John 4 is such a good chapter. I want to read it again from the Passion Paraphrase. I'm not going to read the whole part. I won't read the woman at the well part. I just want to read that ending part, starting with verse 39 on. I'm reading from the Passion Paraphrase, and it says this. Many from the Samaritan village became believers in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did, and they begged Jesus to stay with them. So he stayed there for two days resulting in many more coming to faith in him because of his word, because of his message. The Samaritan said to the woman, Now we've heard him ourselves. We've received his word ourselves. Those are my words. We no longer believe just because of what you told us, but we're convinced that he really is the true Savior of the world. Verse 43, On the third day, Jesus left there and continued his journey to Galilee, where he had been raised. Now Jesus knew that prophets are honored everywhere except in their hometown. Welcomed in their hometown, but not honored. Verse 45, even so, as Jesus arrived in the province of Galilee, the people welcomed him with open arms. Many of them had been in Jerusalem during the Passover festival and witnessed firsthand the miracles he had performed. Jesus entered the village of Cana of Galilee, where he had transformed water into wine, and he met there a government official from Capernaum, whose son was very sick and dying. When he heard that Jesus had left Judea and was staying in Cana of Galilee, he decided to make the journey to Cana. When he found Jesus, he begged him, You must come with me to Capernaum and heal my son. So Jesus said to him, You never believe unless you see signs and wonders. But the man continued to plead, Come with me to Capernaum before my little boy dies. Jesus looked him in the eyes and said, Go back home now. I promise you, your son will live. Your son will live. And the man believed in his heart the words of Jesus, and he set off for home. When he was still a distance from Capernaum, his sons met him on the road and told him the good news. Your son is healed. He's alive. Overjoyed, the father asked his servants, when did my son begin to recover? Yesterday, they said, at one in the afternoon. Yesterday, in the seventh hour. All at once, his fever broke, and now he's well. And then the father realized immediately that it was at that very same hour that Jesus spoke the words to him, your son will live. And from that day forward, the man, his servants, and all his family believed. Healing the official son was Jesus' second extraordinary miracle in Galilee after returning from Judea. Let me pray. Jesus, I pray for each and every one of us that you would give us a seventh hour story. That, that you would show us how you want us to respond to your word. That we would respond. That it, it wouldn't just be a matter of listening to your word or even learning from your word. But that we would lean into your word. That we would respond. That we would surrender. That when you call us to act, when you call us to do, we would do what you call us to do. May, may we be followers, not just listeners. And we need to develop voice recognition, but... But you, you won't even allow us, I'm convinced of this, to continue to hear your voice if we don't do your voice, if we don't do what you call us to do. So God, I, I pray that you would give us seventh hour stories. I pray that when you, when you give us something to do, that we would respond. I pray for faith. I pray that we would, we would encounter you and that we would love the, the, the miracle giver more than we love the miracle. May our hearts be so open and tender to you. 
May the heart of each and every person listening to this be so open and tender to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.